Well, a few weeks ago, we began a new series. I don't know how long it's going to be, probably another sermon after this, but uh, we'll find out because we're proceeding carefully and I hope thoughtfully. The subject being this, building back better, which you hear politicians talking about a lot. This idea, post-COVID, whatever lessons we've learnt, well, let's build back better, build back better communities. Everything that we do, everything that we are, let's build back better. Well, I'm not sure what the politicians have in mind, quite the things that you and I might have in mind, but I like the expression. That's got some value. And really, in a sense, for us here as a fellowship, we've been through some changes, and still, I'm sure, more changes ahead. Had building work, which uh, some of you came in at the end of, and some of you, it's all a mystery. But we were, for the best part of a year, covered in scaffolding. And prior to that, we were much in prayer. No means guaranteed the outcome that we could fix the roof or get the pointing done. That was quite a hefty bill that we were facing. Yet here we are. And by the grace of God, building, well, there's plenty still to do inside it. But the big work outside it, it's been done. Good. But in the end, of course, it's the people inside that building that are the people that make it count, make it worthwhile, who will make a church or indeed break a church. And it's therefore something perhaps for us to think about building back better. That as we resume, wow, we've had a children's address, not had one of those in many a long year. Building back better. Resuming things we used to do as a church. Well, dear friends who are pretty new to us here, well, you never knew it was like that anyway. And uh, so you're finding out something of our history as you, as you travel along with us. But whatever, whatever we were as Christ Baptist Church before, whatever was old normal, as we call it, whatever it was, we actually want something better than that. We want to build back better. Whatever we learned when we were perhaps uh, absent from the house of God, lockdowns and such things, and all the impositions that we had to live with over that period when we could be open, but we had all these rules and regulations there upon us. We want to build back better. We want to roll our sleeves up. And we're coming really to the first uh, heading in a moment, which is about work. It's a building work. We want to do it better. So last time we were thinking about many uh, illustrations, texts in the Bible that talk about building. Our Lord himself said he'd build his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We read, as we read just now again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we were there with this thought that actually it's an apostolic work. Building is what apostles do and people who walk in the teaching of the apostles do by way of imitation. So we saw Paul's description of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. And there he says, it was the grace of God. This wasn't my idea. I didn't get this plan made up in my own mind. This was God gifting me. This was his Holy Spirit teaching me how to be a wise master builder. Contrast, doesn't he, there, who are the people that are doing the building now, the 
whoever they are in the church, in Corinth, all these tongue speakers and prophets, but whatever they're up to, it's uh, needing a lot of correction. That's what First Corinthians is going to do. So much for their wisdom. And he contrasts, doesn't he, there, the wisdom of this age with true spiritual wisdom. These people are carnal. They're like babes. They hadn't grown up. And Paul is just pulling rank on them a little bit, saying, well, I was given the grace of God. I was given an office. We believe that office is a unique office, the apostles, the one-offs. You can't repeat them because you can't be eyewitnesses of the Lord. You can't go back and be 2,000 years back in time to become an apostle. Can't do it. But they were the people. And they were given wisdom. And they built master builders. And Paul describes himself there as laying a foundation. And we saw from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He goes on to say it, and we're going to be picking that up in a minute there, that uh, that's the only foundation. So verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is saying, and he warns people, those who reckon they were wise, well, let's see how wise you are. This is what a wise master builder has done. So what are you going to build on this, on this foundation? Because the foundation is Christ. There's no other foundation which is laid. So if you're on that foundation, and some of the people he's writing to you actually may not be, so there's a warning to them there, then be careful how you build. Make sure it fits with who Jesus Christ is and what his likes are and what pleases him. Because otherwise, well, if you build right, that counts. That's going to be the gold, the silver, the precious stone. Comes the test, comes the fire of testing. It will stand. What you've been doing, what you've been building with, and us building back better, it will stand the test. Not only on the day of judgment, but here in this life, God will send tests. He sends trials on churches. What are you made of? Who are you? He allows them to have ministers, pastors, who may not be all that we wish for. Who is a church? How are we going to cope with that? How are you going to respond? Always a test. And of course, if the church has not been building well, it'll get burnt up because it'll be found out it was wood, hay and straw. That's what it was. It was wood, hay and straw. Sometimes that's what the pastors are, the wood, hay and straw. And eventually they implode. They, they self-destruct. And what they have built will go up with it because it was worthless. It wasn't actually centered on Christ. So building back better, my two headings really this morning are this. Firstly, building is work. It's work. And then the final heading, second heading, Christ the only foundation. So a little bit where we've already just by way of introduction prepared the way for. So building is work. It's work. Well, it was work. You should have been here when it was all happening. I'd be in the schoolroom and, uh, great getting to know the builders, had some very, very good conversations there. And, um, well, I was able to go up on the scaffolding and have a look at the proper thing and, uh, take some photos. Sure I was, but it was work and I could see it as work and the dust that it kicked up and the noise of machinery and, uh, goings on and hammering when the roof itself was uh, being replaced. That was work. I saw them at the end of the day and uh, they'd been working and they looked as if they had been working, manual work, heavy work, work that required a lot of physical toil and effort, but a good outcome, a good product. 
a good roof. Oh, he trusted it. And good pointing. It's keeping the damp out. It sure is. But it was work. And whenever we're building back better, there's always going to be work to do. Because like the work on the building here, whenever you start a job that big, you always are going to unearth situations, problems, unforeseen things, things you hadn't reckoned on because you didn't know it until you started taking the stuff off. Oh, and then you found this, that or the other, right? That holds up the work there. We've got to sort that out before we can get back to it. And that's that's the nature of it. And some of us I know at the moment have got building work, lesser nature, but uncovers things. That needs permission from the local authority. Oh, didn't realize that was so near to the, the main sewer, whatever it is there. Uh, and so there's extra, always is. Building work, there always is more to it. Discoveries you make, or oh, there might be material shortages. Haven't got those parts or those precise pieces. Going to be a bit of a delay till the wholesaler, the trader gets them in. That's work. Well, we read in Nehemiah chapter two and I'm going to try not to steal from Andrew's thunder. He's preaching tonight. He's preaching in Nehemiah, just to let you know on that. But we're slight overlap there, but nothing too major in that room for, for both these sermons. There is from a little bit of reference to Nehemiah. My reference is, is really quite brief. And it's just to alert us to something of what we read when Nehemiah came and he began his inspection. But there was trouble, wasn't there? There was opposition building his work. And you're often having to push against opposition and difficulty, hindrances. It's Sanballats and it's Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab. We find them actually in verse 10. Didn't read it, but it's there, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, heard, heard that Nehemiah had come with permission from the uh, head of the Persian Empire, to come and rebuild the walls. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Then we read in verse 19 that they're becoming vocal now. They realize it is serious. This man is doing surveys. He's now speaking to the people and they're on side with him. They say, yes, we, we will do this. Let us rise up, they said in verse 18, and build. They set their hands to this good work. And that didn't please Sanballat and Tobiah. We read verse 19, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us, despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Get the feeling there of where they want to take this. They want to try to get them in trouble with the officials. They want to try and use the high-up people, these, the Ammonite official, to some ballots. Uh, there's no mean person within the society of that day. They're not nobodies, they're somebodies. And they can stir up trouble. And they're threatening to stir up trouble. That's building, you see. You're going to have opposition to it. And we know beyond all else, beyond the people, beyond the personalities, beyond the named individuals, we have an enemy. We have the devil. And he is very determined to oppose, to make building back better, difficult, to try to change gold, silver, precious stones, turn them into wood, hay, and straw, to interfere, to disable the work, 
or to make it so ineffectual and unfruitful that was it worth it in the first place? That's his aim. And that's here in the hearts of Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem. They represent more than simply themselves. They don't realize it any more than people out there realize it. They think they're the people. They think they're on top of their game. They, they think they're the wise ones. They're connected up. Well, Paul would beg to differ from them. And we would beg to differ from them too. That actually they're, they're serving. They may not believe in him, or if they do only in a jokey, jokey style, but they're serving the devil. They're actually doing his bidding. They're actually busy working for him without realizing it and without owning it. And they'd laugh at the thought that they were. They don't believe in any supernatural, they'd say. We, we don't believe in any of that. But we can see the supernatural, the wrong kind in them, by what they're trying to do to interfere with the work. Mainstream culture, right, by which we would mean the culture that we saw yesterday outside at the fate. The culture that you and I, if we were there, or interacting with you, weren't there, I can well believe you could imagine. The kind of people, the kind of response. Nobody came and turned over our tables and hurled insults at us. Well, some in the back of my mind were ready for such an eventuality. Nobody, as far as I'm aware, complained to the organisers of it, to the parish council, that we were there with our literature and doing crafts for the children. Nobody has, as far as I know. But we didn't have a queue at the stall. The beer tent, that had a queue, sure. We didn't. We didn't have a whole kind of mass of people kind of taking all of the literature we had. We gave out a pleasing amount of literature, and it was great. So the children that stopped, so estimated about 20 or so, did the craft, took away with them a coloring book or something great. Bible texts in it and Bible narrative stories in it, great. But we weren't kind of so overwhelmed with people wanting to know, who are we? Who is this God? How can we know him better? Why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Has he risen from the dead? No. Apathetic, disinterested, not overtly hostile, not kind of coming at us there and uh, all guns blazing. No, but not interested. Uh, if we'd pressed people too much, they would have come back with the, I'm all right. Please stay away. I'm all right. <laughs> don't need, don't need. And, and would have made the excuses quickly uh, and gone out of any conversation if it was getting too deep for them. That is mainstream culture. But then beyond that, we'll call it this, ruling culture, right? Ruling culture. What big, important people think, what the influential people think, that actually is a harder culture. That is more overtly atheistic. So, well, let's say, name the names, BBC. Or, or Channel 4, that, that their mainstream view there would be a little bit harder than the general view of the population here. Oh, no, they'd be a bit more opposed. They would give Christians a real hard time if they came on their television program or radio program broadcast. Yeah, that culture is harder. And that culture actually is where politics is. Most of the politics in this country, most of the main parties, some to a greater extent, some to a lesser extent, maybe. But they've, 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 been, they've been bitten by this stuff more, harder, stronger against the Christian faith, more ready to express negativity 
more ready to do negative things, pushed around by Stonewall or mermaids or some of these transgender people, ready to hear what they have to say. And we've seen it with the present government, flip-flopped around, and U-turns, that Stonewall unhappy, let's change it, make, make you happy. What about us? Do you want to make us happy? Not so much. And that is the ruling culture. Though it's not necessarily the view of the majority of people. The majority of people would probably be more sympathetic to us than this more kind of ruling culture. What you find in universities, what you find in our national broadcasters, what what does the rounds in, in terms of philosophy, etc. Yeah, we're building back against that. And within that, we, we have those influences in the church, the wider church. And if we try to be distinctive, try in the best sense of the word to be separate from those things and put distance between ourselves and those things, then we're going to find actually the church is going to oppose. They're going to be the Sambalas and the Tobias where they already are. So you find so many of the liberal churches deny the supernatural, deny things like the resurrection, deny miracles, deny. I've been teaching the children in school there, Jonah, fish that swallowed him up. Believe it? Well, I think at that tender age, they're happy to believe it too. It's only when they get corrupted later that they discount supernaturalism. But they'll find that a lot of churches have already got there ahead of them. They're deeply de-supernaturalized zones. Won't believe this. Reinterpret the Bible to fit with whatever supposed modern man is willing to believe. They don't go for us much, friends. They don't. And if you want to find opposition to open-air preaching, it more often not come from such churches, such ministers, we can call them that. Or other places there, wild, Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, spiritual power, spiritual experience. And the journey that those churches take, just listening to a story of yesterday, just takes them further and further and further away from biblical truth because they've left the word of God, actually. They're not building on that foundation. They, they've found something else to build a foundation upon. And that more and more becomes their foundation. And so what's being built more and more becomes like wood, hay and straw. It's the stuff of culture. It's the stuff of the wrong culture. It's not the stuff of the Bible. And one day, well, any day, that gets exposed for what it is. Many are going off down that way and they don't thank us. They, they think we're far too legal we're far too taken up with the bible far too restricted and restrictive and we would say oh sorry we have to differ from you on that because we try to be held by the word of god others and a story in this that others amongst us here can tell us more about but you know unless you've got the hebrew unless you've got all of that dotted dies and cross t's on that then then again you're, you're just just not there uh, and there'd be those who, who, who would say that, uh, really, we, we've, we're far, far away and that we, we should be somewhere different in terms of that. And uh, yeah, friends have had a minister there in the past who, who took that more, uh, gave you a lecture on Hebrew rather than preaching a sermon about Christ. You think, well, something's gone wrong here. And others are just pragmatic, aren't they? Just whatever kind of works, whatever gets a lot of people in, whatever... Whatever gets people kind of happy with church. Well, if they want that, they want a program and they want food with it, we'll give that. And we're up against that at every turn. 
building his work, friends. And a lot of that work for us, it's not kind of physical work. A few tables to carry yesterday and stuff, yeah, goes with it. It does, chairs to shift. That's never been the way in church life. But it's in here, friends. It's in our minds. It's where the battle is being fought. It's in our hearts. It's the pull, often from with the wider church, which doesn't have Christ as the foundation. Something else is the foundation here. And it's pulling people, pulling us that way. And if, well, God forbid, we get smaller, then the pressure is always on all the more. Building friends is work. And if we're building back better, and we're coming really to our main point now, then we need to be clear in our minds about this next point, next heading, Christ, the only foundation. Simple as that. Christ, the only foundation. That's what the apostle is telling us here very emphatically, and he's dropping a very heavy hint with those in the church in Corinth who were building something else. They had their own show here. Some of them were kind enough to make Paul the head man, the chief honcho, as it were. Others had Apollos, others had Cephas. Well, Paul is not impressed. He doesn't want his name anywhere near that sort of stuff. There's only one name. When he came to preach, only one name that he preached. He baptized people into his own name. Uh, it wasn't Paul that was crucified for you. Christ, Christ and him crucified. That was the message. He said other things around that, but it all interlocked with that. That was the message. That's still the message. And that's still the undergirding of any church. Building back, building back better. Then it's got to have Christ at the heart of it. And if anything, it's got to have more of him. We're all of us are learners. We're all disciples. We're on a journey. And that journey actually, and we often don't realize it, is because we've taken in so much of the world, we, we've absorbed the culture, we, we've grown up surrounded by it, and it has an effect. And it takes us away from thinking right, thinking straight. It kind of unrenews our mind. It tries to squeeze us into that mold. And we are ever having to drag ourselves away from that and make sure we're centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he, he is the foundation, that he, he is our hope. That when we say we have faith, well, that's in whom we have faith. This table says it's about him and we have faith in him. This Christ, and it's important this to specify, this Christ who came in the flesh, God, but who came in the flesh, not some other Christ. Because there are any number of Christs out there. There are any number of Jesus Christ on the lips of people. Find out, do. Find out which one they mean. What does he do for you? What do you believe him to be? Who do you believe him to be? Because you might not be so cheered when you hear the answer to that. Because it isn't as easy as it sounds. Have Jesus Christ as the only foundation. Well, we'd be inclined to agree, I'm sure. But then ask, but which Christ? Which one is he for you or me? Which one is he for anybody else that you might ask? You, you might say, well, I'm a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yes. But keep asking questions. What does he do for you? What do you believe he's done? What do you believe he will do? Who is he? Is he God and man? Has he come in the flesh? Do you believe that? Well, a lot of people stumble somewhere around that. They don't want him to be God, actually. They find that too hard to believe that somebody who's a man to live on earth could actually be God as well. 
And so no, let's just part company with you on that point there. I was doing yesterday there with some very pleasant people, uh, Unitarians. So they don't believe that there are three persons in the Godhead. Well, we're Trinitarians. There, there's actually a clear difference, very clear difference, and a very vital difference. And it's vital we uphold that actually, no, that's not orthodoxy, but that this is. No, we can't explain it all, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then how the Son can be both God and man. Profundities, wonders in it. We love this, we teach it, and we sing it, and we profess it. And it's important that we do. It's that Christ. And it's not always the same Christ of others believe in. That he's at the heart of all that we are, and all that we do, whatever we attempt, when we seek to be obedient, when we look to be people of the Ten Commandments, but we, we look to do it in association with him, and we look at the cross, and we want to know sin forgiven, and we want the power of that, and we, we want to know that we have the help of the Holy Spirit, whatever we attempt to do for him, whatever obedience we look to render, that we have the help of the Holy Spirit. And this is vital, vital, because it's all about him. That's the promise that he made to the apostles. That's the promise that he and the Father have fulfilled in the day of Pentecost and in which we still live in the good of that. The power of that and the reality of that is something vital for us to know and to rely upon, to trust in as we seek to do whatever we do for him. That we're told that he is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We believe that. We believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we believe that there is no other name on the heaven given among men by which we must be saved, because there is salvation in no one else, in him. And we rely upon that cross upon which he died. Had to be that person doing that, dying in the place of sinners, dying. For all that we could never have done, no obedience that we can give, no amount of toil and effort, none of it can get anywhere near to the perfection of God. Only he achieved that, and only he is a worthy substitute for our failures, for our wretched hopelessness, for all that we do that offends God daily. Only he, the righteous one, could be the one to offer his body, that it should be his death on our behalf. That should have been our death, death of deaths, as we would die in hell in perpetuity. No, he dies in our place, that Christ. But is that not a loving Christ? Is that not a Christ, indeed a God, of such immense, immense love, that we who deserve nothing should receive everything? That we who deserve condemnation should have been given the Holy Spirit and help and confirmation of our belonging to him and the spirit of adoption. And that we should have him as our loving Heavenly Father to whom we pray and who answers our prayers, does things in your life and in mine. That is a privilege beyond words. And that's what that Christ does. Why, he's the Christ of Hebrews chapter one. If you want to know about him, here he is. Is this your Christ? Chapter 1, verse 1, just reading into that first chapter. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That Christ, that's the Christ whose glory fills the skies, isn't it? That's Jesus, you lover of my soul. That Christ, presently upholding the world, presently doing that, holding these hot temperatures, which will be followed by thunderstorms and much colder temperatures, if I read the forecast, arrive. Keeping this planet and its movements, making gravity to work so that the tides come, ebb and flow. Ah, him. And we confess him. That Christ. The Christ who at the cross atones absolutely for your sin and mine. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, absolutely done. Not, I've done this, now over to you to do that. And let's wait, see how you do. Oops, collapse. No, not that, not that Christ. That one sounds a bit powerless, a bit weak to me. That doesn't sound like a cross that's really done it. That, that doesn't sound like a communion table giving me all the help and encouragement that I need and that you need. No, he has done it all. And even in our failures, he's done it all for those too. And our sins as Christians, oh, he's done it for those too. You and I might need to go back to him for help and cleansing and confess our miserable failure to him. Wretched it is, but there's help. And we do it knowing that there will be help because we've received of that love of Christ. And, and we know that he doesn't let us go. We know that, that that Christ and that cross has a sufficiency and a power that keeps us, keeps us to the end. I don't think I'd have good news at all to preach. I don't think I'd have a, a message worth stopping aside and hearing unless that promise, which is here in the word of God, is that promise that I can make here as I represent as best I can him and his truth. That we are saved, saved forever. That we are saved for eternity and that he never ever will let us go. That Christ, that's actually a different Christ to many people's Christ. That's, that's different. And the cross there doesn't do as much in some people's ideas and theology as we believe that it does. It does everything. It does the entirety. Because there is the person on it, as described in Hebrews chapter 1, who is guaranteed to do it all. This is the express image of God's person. This is the brightness of his glory. As I was saying that this person, well, you're seeing God. You're seeing all of the glory of God here in this person. And you are, and we believe that. And that's where we are, only him. And we can ever so subtly shift from him. And we can think it's all down to you and me. That I've got to get this right. I, I've got to, it, it's down to me. And I and come on my own with this. No, you're not. If you think you're on your own with this, disaster will follow. But if you know this Christ, his power, his love, his holding and his keeping, then I've got hope for myself and hope for you. That actually we'll keep going and actually be encouraged in keeping going. And though this building work will have its Sam Ballots and its Tobias, we'll actually be a people of joy. It's going to say it, Nehemiah there. 
Joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. When you know Christ, when he's working there as your foundation, and whatever you're doing, whatever work you're undertaking, whatever obedience you're trying to render, has that Christ at the heart of it, why holiness will be joy to you and me. Why doing the work of God will make you and I happy. And thus, the world can never get. They think we are so sad and so unhappy people. And that we live under such miserable restrictions and limits on our liberty that it must be sure dreadful for us. We say not a bit of it. We found liberty, actually. We found freedom. And it was getting rid of sin that's given us that freedom, not hanging on to it. So, friends, building back better. Do you need, putting it this way, a better Christ than you've worked with till now? Do you need actually, why the biblical Christ? Do you wonder why sometimes your efforts and toils, you seem no nearer to him? You feel far from him? You just stop feeling comforted as you know, maybe you should be, as assured of him as you, you might be. Well then, build that better. And make sure it's this Christ that you're loving, holding fast, cleaving to, making him your Christ. For this is his promise to you that that is, that is who you have. And indeed, you have all the world and things present and things to come. Life and death. That's what Apostle Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 3. It's all yours, actually. Uh, we are destined to rule over it all because overall is Christ over you and Christ is God's. So what loss can you suffer? The only gain. And the gains will be greater. Less wood, less hay, less straw in your life and in mine. If Christ is that foundation and the nature of our living, who we are at heart, more and more expressive of our trust and our faith in that Christ, Christ of Scripture, the Christ who undertakes and does it all for his people, upon whom you and I are wise if we rest all our hope and place all our faith for now and tomorrow and forevermore, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is extremely good news.